G'day guys, welcome back to the uh, All Sport Unlock show. Um, as always, I'm your host, Max Stroud, joined uh, by my producer, Ben Pryor. How you going, Ben? I'm good, thanks, mate. How you going? Yeah, not too bad. Um, cheeky little Thursday night podcast we're doing here, about uh, 6 o'clock we're taping this. Um, been an interesting week in the sports world, so to help us with that, uh, we've brought in the big guns. Uh, Seb Mottram is our special guest today. How are you going, Smothers? Thanks, Jody. Thanks for that. Um, thanks for that entrance. It's a genuine pleasure <laughs> to be here. Um, so, as I, as I just touched on, the uh, the footy world's been uh, be, be behaving a bit differently this week. Obviously, unforeseen territory for all sports, um, especially footy has such such a rich, rich history. Um, what are your thoughts on what's transpired this week, especially in regards to you know the hubs? Um, and the p- potential moving of the, some of the Western clubs to the Eastern Seaboard, Spunners? Yeah, look, it takes a while to make sense of, doesn't it? But in the end, I think it's fair enough that Western Australia and South Australia don't want people in there because they're doing a fair bit better than us, and that's that's acceptable. But what's not acceptable is the Premier of WA coming out with some shocking comments today. They were, they were really off the mark, I thought. Yeah, so for those who missed it, um, basically Mark McGowan, the Western Australian Premier, has uh, thrown, uh, thrown some fair bit of shade at uh, the Victorian clubs for refusing to, uh, what was the quote? I think adapt to the, to the Victorians needs of the aren't willing to leave their comfort zone. Which after the comfort zone, yeah. we we well, the Victorian team shouldn't really be required to go over WA just because of their rules. So it doesn't really make yeah. sense to me. Well, I know that, that Darwin um, suggested that they would be a good place for a hub, which has obviously been shut down since they don't have, don't have a team nor the uh, required equipment or anything to do with that. I don't think WA are that far behind. Um, and when you do the maths, like there's 10 clubs that play uh, in Victoria, just eight in the rest of the suburbs, two in WA. So I'm not sure, he, as you say, I think he was definitely out of line there. Um, and what do, what do you think of their potential move over, over to the Goldie? Um, well, it'd be different, won't it? I, it's hard to get a read on how it's going to affect them. But um, look, West Coast are a very, good, very good team, very professional team, strong leadership group. I'd be surprised if they went downhill. But Freo were a bit of an unknown, aren't they? Not the greatest list. They, they, um, uh, they showed up in round one, though. You've got to give them that. Um, <laughs> gave the fight to an Essendon side. I mean, we were at my joint watching it that day. Yeah, uh, one Seven of the worst games uh, of footy I've ever seen. <laughs> we were, <laughs> Without a doubt. Che- che- cheering Freo on big time. Um, <laughs> but it, it'll be interesting to see how that sort of landscape works. Um, obviously, they've proposed, rather than the hubs, um, which were thought of originally to be the main... Uh, main idea to get footy going again. That's pretty much been abandoned. It looks like the fly-in, fly-out, which I, I can see working. The, the ramifications of that for the competition means be less night games and earlier games too. I think it's, it's unre- unreasonable to suggest, for example, if Sydney were playing um, Essendon at uh, Etihad Stadium or Marvel Stadium, as it is known now, um, to play a 7.50 game on a Friday night and then have to fly home after that. So I'd say games we moved... I guess at the latest, like six thirty sort of thing, um, and then obviously just to get get the uh, obviously players back home and back preparing um, for the next week, as we've seen in fi- in the preliminary finals in recent years, uh, for example, when GWS beat Collingwood last year. So that we've been playing the preliminary finals as a um, as a twilight game on the Saturday to allow teams to get home um, on the Saturday night. Um, so it'll be a similar sort of thing to that, um, I'd say. Which will be interesting to see. First of all, what um, happens obviously going to be no crowds um, throughout a majority of the seasons. So what happens to the TV ratings, um, and also you know how does that affect teams' preparation? 
Are we going to be playing more games a week? Um, ben, have you got any thoughts about what the AFL might look like in the coming in the coming weeks when we get get going again? Well, it, it's all very confusing. I think you you look each way and that people are saying different things about yeah, we we are going to have hubs here. We're not going to have hubs because I'm just reading something now that is, the AFL players have one. Um, they have one in their battle to allow families in the hubs, yeah. which means that or high-performance villages, um, as Gil McLaughlin preferred to call them. Um, yeah, I, it's strange. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure because I think like um, Seb said about the um, WA and SA allowed, like not allowing players to come fly in and out, which is p- perfectly fine. And it's sort of, you got to draw the line at just making comments at the AFL and Victoria about, um, being too soft and whatever, but yeah, it's it's hard to explain and think what might go on because what they so they're going to announce the their like sort of official return of play plan if everything goes uh, goes alright with the current outbreaks. Um, but yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say really what's going to go on because you got you got no clue. Other one, some teams might thrive with it. Um, other teams might not. Um, and it all depends on if teams have been keeping up with their fitness. Um, who's been training harder will definitely show in the first game back. That's the next thing I was going to ask. What do you boys reckon? Who will this gap in play? Obviously, we only played the one round. Um, so we had the full preseason, play one round. And then obviously, how long we had off now? Two, two months, nearly two months. It'll be over two months by the time we get back to footy. Who will that advantage, do you think? Will that advantage an experienced side um, like Richmond, um, West Coast, Geelong, who've been had a nucleus for a long time, a very stable leadership group, had their captain uh, for a long time as well. Or will a, an up-and-coming side, um, I don't know, like a like a North Melbourne or an Essendon um, or someone like that, come over and uh, come over the top and uh, fight a shock? What do you boys reckon? Yeah, well, I wouldn't have thought it's going to advantage teams so much as disadvantage some of the poorer ones to be honest I, I think when you touch on leadership groups I think that's that's really what's on the money um, teams that don't have a strong leadership group um, off the top of my head maybe Freo that don't have a do- lot of depth um, those teams are going to struggle I think because if you, these these teams are going to really be relying on their younger players a lot with a lot of games in a short space of time they're going to have to rotate a lot of players and uh even if those players, just a few, haven't been keeping up their fitness, that's really going to affect a lot of those teams with a poor leadership group, I think. Yeah, but I think when it does come down to the leadership group part of it, but I also think they're all 18-year-old plus. If they haven't been doing... They, every every player should be using this as a chance to really prove themselves as a fit player. And they're going to get... They're going to, like you said, they're going to rotate players through because of the increased... Um, playing rate if they do play multiple games in a shorter space of time. So I think people players have got a point to prove. Like um, Teams are going to be having cut players soon because of um, they're losing money and stuff. They're going to have, have, have to have shorter lists. Players can't afford to oh, just relax back, in this little, relax back in this little period and just sort of lay back. Because if they have a bad the rest of this season, um, they might be gone next year because clubs just can't afford to keep people on contracts. It's going to be interesting as well, having a, a prolonged period of 16-minute quarters. We saw in round one, the scoring didn't dip a whole lot, even though there was pretty much an extra quarter left. 
I don't know whether that was the defensive uh, structures were lost a little bit um, throughout the game with it with less um, less rotations or uh, maybe a bit more flair and when because there was counting down um, to the end of the quarter more quickly. Um, so what do you well, do? You reckon that'll make an impact towards the end of the season when we get when will players be fresher? And will we see better skills, better quality footy, especially as we go on to the finals as well? Well, that has to be the aim, doesn't it? Like, I, I think that that's really got to be the only reason of the 16-minute quarters, better skills and players freshly going into the finals. Because me, personally, I wasn't a huge fan of it. It felt, it really did feel like we were just missing a quarter of footy. And um, like a whole quarter of footy, that's a bit of a big deal. But I understand the argument that if it really increases the skills and uh, can keep players fresher for the rest of the season, then play on. If I was going to the footy, that that's the I, I think the players would love to have sixteen minute quarters going forward, but I I just don't think it's sustainable. Like, I don't think it is. What's sixty four minutes of, of game time, so we're pretty much cutting down, pretty much by a, by a quarter. Like all of a sudden, it, it's a two hour thing. Like it's a that's about the travel time that most people have to have to go through to get to the footy. Like um yeah, I think I think twenty minute quarters, and got, the only thing I wouldn't mind is see, seeing them cutting down half time in the long run when we were able to go back to the footy. Um, that would be a bit more interesting to me because yeah. I, think, I think I can get a beer and a hot dog and go to the toilet in 10 minutes. What do you boys reckon? Yeah. <laughs> That's it's what you need to do, hard. isn't it? <laughs> it's not that hard, I think. Um, I, yeah, but like so I, I agree with Smart with I hated um, having to be only 16 minutes. It's like you, you start, they start the quarter and then oh, it's, there's only four, four or five minutes to go. It's... Um, yeah, I, I think they should. I think they should. They will return to twenty minute quarters. Um, but there's, I think, after we come out of this whole thing, this whole coronavirus, and it, we hopefully can get past it as quickly as possible. The same old debates are going to come up yeah. with what do we do with interchanges, zones, and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to. Um, what I what I found fantastic from. Um, Obviously, after the AFL announced the, the, the uh, change to a seventeen-game season, how long have we heard about this debate with the players wanting to play less footy? Like, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be years now, and then as soon as they the the actual economics come out where they're going to lose money, all of a sudden, well, hang on, no, I think I think we'll stick to the twenty-two games. Um, I think now that the players have got their way a little bit, and then they've gone, the quarters have gone back. I think the AFL is going to have a real tough time trying to wind them or wind them back out longer again because. Um, as we know, the AFL Players Association are a very prominent group in the um, in the AFL. And Paddy Dangerfield, I don't think we know he's been keen to shorten quarters and uh, get more interchange. I don't think he's going to be keen to go back. I think I think it's about time Dangerfield gets back in his box, though. Like seriously, I've I've he's a very good footballer, but he talks a lot, and he has he it, it, all of his solutions are, are negative to the fans. Um. Like That's he, his job, though. He, he is the president of the Players Association. His job's to look out for the players, isn't it? Well, yeah, within reason, though. Because mm. at the end of the day, the people that are paying his salary are the fans. Um, and if fan, fans aren't going to aren't going to cop seventeen game seasons and sixteen minute quarters, like that, that's, that's a, just that's not going to last. That's a that's a bad product if we get to that stage, which I, I don't think we will. I, I think as soon as this season ends, obviously it's going to be an absolute absolute mess of a year. I think it will will go back to normal, and I think the players' association, um, the players' association obviously have a very, very valuable place in the game. Like without them, they'd be, they'd be in all sorts. But I, I think the 
the, the they they'll understand the financial um, and social um, constraints and they go into their job a bit better than I think they did before. Yeah, look, that's a very fair point. You can't you can't really argue with that. Um, fans fans pay the the reason the games around and um, players probably do need to be a little bit more receptive to the fans' needs. You're right. Now, Seb, I know you're a. We were having this debate the other day. I know you're a bit of a, a bit of an interstate sympathizer. So what what have you made of all these players and coaches coming out and uh, saying that the uh, the sport is geared towards Victorians? That so-called Vic, Vic bias. Well, you know, this was a weird one because I can't disagree in saying that there's a Vic bias. I think I think if most reasonable people will admit that there's a Vic bias, but this was the worst possible time that all the other clubs could have chosen to make a point because this is the time where there really needs to be a big bias. Like if the clubs, if the competition's in trouble, you've got to gather around like the central part of the competition and that's Victoria and that's, other clubs need to understand that. Like, so there is, there is a big bias, but this is one of the times where there really needed to be a big bias and there will be a big bias because, you know, we're, it's the biggest part of the AFL. And um, so I think in some points they have a case, but this was just the worst possible time to make a case. And I reckon... They've almost ruined it for their future selves, to be honest. Because um, now they can't really they can't really keep bringing this up. They can't they they just can't keep doing it. And uh, so I think it's a real wasted opportunity from all. I know a lot of poor players came out and said it. A few Eagles did as well. Look, I it think was just it's real weird. wasted opportunity. Like, it was. It was weird. Like seriously, like at this time, at this time, the the focus has to be get about getting footy back, um, not whether or not the competition's fair. Because you know what. We play in a competition where we play 22 games a year and there's only 18 teams. So you, some teams, every year, a team gets in the finals based solely off what draw they get. Um, yeah. Whether it's a Victorian club or an interstate club. Um, and a team like like West Coast, yes, they have to travel every second week. They also get to play at home every second week. Yeah, but what other what other things can they say? Like, What do they want? It's mm. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Like A team like West Coast, they get the... When you look at all the free kick stats, it's clearly as a the umpires do get a bit intimidated once they get over there, and um, they tend to uh, tend to gift the gift the Eagles a couple uh, couple little uh, free kicks along the way, and then they have to travel. Whereas in Victoria, like uh, when they're Collingwood Richmond are playing, nine thousand MCG, it's forty five thousand Collingwood fans and forty five thousand Richmond fans. Like they, it's obviously there's a big bias because there's ten ten Victorian clubs, but to say it, it, it just it just defies logic to me. Yeah, it, at this time, it really defies logic. I think you're right, especially when they have because there's a lot of there's a lot of footy fans in Perth and, and Adelaide. They probably have the two biggest, although the four biggest um, supporter bases. Well, James Brayshaw came out this week and rec- and said something along the lines of West Coast are ten times bigger club than any other club in the AFL. They probably are, and they, they no, probably I, are, I aren't they? they? Are. I, th- yeah. I think they are. You look. I think if you look at the um, Sales and their the whole financial sort of side of things. I think West Coast. I'm not. I'm not sure if they because it was Richmond that had the most support, uh, memberships, but I'm pretty sure West Coast do go a um a long way to being the biggest club in the comp. Mm. And and like it's for like they have these like sort of points, but it changes when they get to go home and play at home. It's a massive disadvantage for teams having to go over there. It's such a it's. Because clubs get used to playing in Melbourne and they have to fly for four hours to Perth, it's a massive, like, 
Yeah, West Coast are really advantaged by it, aren't they? Like they're yeah, good at playing in Melbourne now when other teams aren't as good as playing in Perth. That's a pretty solid advantage if you ask me. Yeah, and they they're used to having to fly back. They've got their routines. It throws the whole footy club and team's routine by having to go over there. And it's just really I I feel like yeah, it's a bit of a disadvantage, but it might like you've got that massive you don't have, you don't get any fan, opposition fans over there like you said Stradie. If it's Richmond v Collingwood at the MCG, it's 45,000 each. Over there, it's 80,000 West Coast. Or Fremantle are getting the same amount as crowds, but still, you don't get any, tra- like, no travelling fans go over there. No. Like, you get the little cheer squad, well, that's 2,000 people. <laughs> like, if that, like, that's not going to make a difference. Yeah. You get 60,000 people focusing on one team. That's a massive advantage. It's like playing at Adelaide and mm. with Port Adelaide and Adelaide. You don't get any travelling fans over there. Yeah, and and the other thing at the end of the day, with in throughout the recent AFL history, the last thirty years, opposition clubs, obviously the the grand finals get the MCG for the next hundred years. So we're going to have going to keep having this debate about big bias. Um, but interstate clubs have won no problems in the grand final. Like even West Coast themselves won two years ago. Um, Sydney have come over here and won easily a couple times. Um, Brisbane won three premierships in the early two thousands. Port have won. Like it's not as if it's impossible. To, to win if you're a non-Victorian team. That's certainly right. Certainly there's what, right. There's from what, so 2001 to um, 2006 were all the interstate teams. Yeah. The only failure I can really think about when they it was really due to um, inexperience at the G is West Coast v Hawthorne a few years yeah. ago. But that, and that's maybe, like maybe, you'd one. Throw, maybe you'd throw in the Giants last year as well. Having said that, they did beat yeah, Collingwood in the prelim. Yeah. And then, and then also... I mean, the worst grand final I reckon I've ever watched was Hawthorne v Fremantle. I think that's I think that's a fairly unanimous point of view. <laughs> yeah, but it's they just had, like Hawthorne were never going to lose that game. The other thing I'm interested in, uh, Smot, I know you can uh, vouch for this, Ben. You're pretty rubbish at the game, but uh, so how's Supercoach going to be affected <laughs> <laughs> when when we uh, get back to all this? Like, it's going to be. Will I think it would have to say that all Supercoach. Winners this year have to have an asterisk, unless I win. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be most things, isn't it? The Brownlow winner's going to have an asterisk. Um, Premiership's going to be an asterisk, especially if a team like the Saints win. That'll just be a joke. <laughs> um, I don't think you have to worry about that, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. There's going to be a big asterisk on any team that win, can win Supercoach. And it might be it, your it, year. <laughs> I hope. I think it's my year, actually. <laughs> well, it's... It's going to be a logistical thing as well, won't it? Because um, well, if, if we, we, if we start playing if we start playing midweek games, it, that's going to be a serious logistical issue, yeah. won't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that that'll be really interesting. Like if if we got a like we might have start playing having teams play two times in a in a supercoach round and stuff like that. That'll be a nightmare. Yeah, well, sure think of all the trades you're going to, to, to think of all the trades and how alert you're going to have to be to team selection and stuff. It's well, I, I think yeah. they've already announced even with the 17 rounds, we're still getting 30 trades for 17 weeks. So yeah, well, you're going to have okay. to really be all over it every night, aren't you? Because if you miss something big, if you miss one one selection, you, we know that that can stuff a week up just like that, can't it? I'm all for it. I'm I'm on I'm there 24 seven anyway. What's the first <laughs> trade you're making when we get back into it, Smothers? Oh, I can barely remember what my team looks like to be honest. <laughs> Um, I know I was primed for a big year. That's I do know that. Um, I'd done a huge preseason. I just had a I had a stiff round one. Um, I copped a few injuries. And that was unlucky. That's what it was. It was just unlucky. But um, 
I'm very keen to bounce back. Very, very, very keen. Because I know I had a shocker year last year, but I will be back. That's all you need to know. I'll be back. As we speak, I do have some breaking news, actually, from, uh, from one Damien Barrett. Um, so the four cl- AFL clubs required to enter hub life in order to restart the 2020 season will do so in two of the Gold Coast Premier Golf Resorts. West oh. Coast, Fremantle, Adelaide and Port Adelaide will get full run of the facilities when they reside there from either later this month or early June in readiness to match resumption in June. Who's complaining now? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? So you got the uh, pa- Palm Meadows and Royal Pines. So Royal Pines has hosted a few Australian Opens. Speaking um, of golf, have you boys had a round yet? No, not yet. Oh, I, ha- I haven't, actually. Um, I'll be looking forward to. Very soon. Very. I've actually I've been working both days. We've been allowed to play golf, so um, haven't had a chance. But as soon as I do... That's good. I saw Nick Dantano pop down to um, Brighton Golf Course at midnight. On, uh, oh, really? On you guys say that? Yeah. No, yeah I'm just having a round. I saw he, he bought some fluoro, um, fluoro golf balls and had like... Uh, is a, a Brighton Golf Club doing that like full time, or is it just was it just him? Look, I didn't know. I hadn't heard anything about it. So, but surely he couldn't have just set that all up by himself, could he? Yeah, I don't know because it was like they had the the pins had um yeah he had fluoro the... lights along the fairway. The pins had fluoro colours on them. And... Yeah, uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> going back to, going back to your um, point about the asterisks around this year. Do you think whoever wins it, whether it's Richmond or it's Essendon or whatever, do you reckon... It won't everyone, be Essendon, I can tell you that much. Will, it, <laughs> will, will everyone just be like, it doesn't count? Will they, Will the, everyone, whoever wins, will just be like, no, nope, this is all I can, right. It'll depend on the team, I reckon. So let's say Melbourne or St. Kilda win it straight. Is it just... Massive, a, ast- two, ast- two asterisks. <laughs> no one will pay any attention to that. No. That'll be a joke. If if Richmond, Collingwood, West Coast, or something like that wins, everyone will probably say, you know what, fair enough. Yeah, do you guys they, have any? Do you guys have any picks for who do you reckon will win it? Yeah, it's hard to go about past the Tigers. I think. Yeah, Tigers just look like they're so much better team than anyone else in the comp on their day. Well, but not on I their think day, just every day, isn't it? I, I think the next best team is probably the Giants. Yeah, if they can get it rolling. If they can get it wrong. From from when you go, I think when you go line by line, I think the Giants have the most talented outfit. Oh, you think you, you look at that, but Richmond just have the best structure they and do. the best. Richmond the best. have the best coach, really, don't they? Dimmer just seems to be all over everything they do. He's just got he's got what he's got, and he's worked it out beautifully. I'm a su- subscriber to Faganism personally. Um, <laughs> I'll get around a bit of that. I reckon Chris is fantastic up there. He looks like a really good guy to have a beer with, I reckon, Chris. Oh, he would be fantastic. I reckon I'd love to have a chat with him at, to him at a pub, drinking a 4X or something up there. I'd love that. <laughs> Speaking of Brisbane, how far away do you reckon they are from a flag or grand final appearance? Pretty close. I think they were definitely going to take a step back this year. They had, a, obviously, coming from a bottom six draw last year to a top six draw this year, that's always going to put, um, pose some problems. If we're playing normal year, I still think they would have made the eight, maybe top six. Um, and then I, I don't think they would have done a lot of damage come finals time. But they need, they, they're still, I think they're still a goal kicker short. But they're probably another inside midfielder short, I'd say, as well. I've got a fair, yeah. bit, of, fair bit of polish on the outside uh, with the likes of uh, McCluggage and Berry and Zorko. Um, just another, another grunt midfielder to go with um, Lockie, Lockie Neal. Um, would be would be really big for them, and then someone to give give that Eric it put a bit of a chop out up forward. Well, well I was going to say, what what was what are your thoughts on Kitwood as a footballer? Yeah, I think I think he's got some talent. Um, I'm not. I don't think he's ever going to be an absolute superstar, is he? But 
I think he 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 has the potential to be a fifty goal forward for a long time. I think. Yep, Swathers, Do you have anything to add about Hitwood? Uh, well, he's he's too skinny, isn't he? He's got he's really got a long way if he's going to bulk up. Is because some you see a lot of AFL players still come from a solid base, and I'm sure Hitwood did. He's just got shocking genetics, but um, he's got. Did a you long see Lance way Franklin when he was 22? Yeah, he even, was, have you seen Hipwood's legs? Like, I'm not, trying, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a bad bloke, but he's he well, really needs to put on some muscle if he's going to be one of the greats of the game. Well, surely this is a case like a lot of players could go like Hipwood. He could be like, all right, well, I'm not going to be playing footy for two, over two months here. I should be spending every day possible in the gym trying to get as big as possible. Because yeah. you're right, he's way too... Um, well, he could do what Nat Fife did at the end of his debut season. Remember, he just came out and he was about 12 times bigger. Well, he would have been 22, 23 now, I'd imagine. Like, he's had a few seasons in the system. But yeah. some people are, are that skinny build. Like, maybe he ends up playing, you know, along a wing or... That could be a further ground. Maybe he's more of a centre-half forward rather than your your big power forward. Um, 23 centimetres playing the ring, wing. Why not? I think that's, that's where we're heading. Well, if he can run, then, yeah, why not? I think I think that's where you'll find uh, Luke Jackson a lot of the time this year for Melbourne, Ben, when he gets a game. Luke Jackson. No, let's not go there. <laughs> I'm not in the right mind for the talk about Melbourne yet, so uh, okay. All right, we'll get off footy. Um, we'll give you we'll give everyone all the listeners some tips. Um, so big day of racing this Saturday, Smotters. I'm very excited personally. Yeah, uh, a few big races at that. Flemington. We've got a uh, a Melbourne Cup qualifier at Flemington, um, being the uh, Andrew Ramston. Um, mm-hmm. Short price favourite there with the King of Lear Grands. Um, then we got the, the Furphy Dash as well. The King of Hastings back in work. Alexis Trophy as well at Flemington. And then obviously Group 1s at Mor- and then Morville, the Goodwood. And then the Amy Centura Stakes, the Gerald Lee Stakes um, as the features. And then even at Rose Hill, got the Joy Stakes and the Dark Tool Classic. So some really good races to be had. Who's the best of the day for you, Spawners, across the tracks? Well, look, best of the day is also my Goodwood tip. And I think I've told you this, but I think Sunlight is huge overs for the Goodwood because I think he's had excuses for his first two runs. He's not good first up, so I can forgive his first up run. And he's not great on a soft track, so I can give his last run. But I think he's, he's just the best horse in this race by, by a fair way. So he's got a good barrier. I think with any sort of luck, if you can just go forward, get a gap, maybe he could even lead. Twelve hundred is best distance. I can't see why he's nine dollars really on his best form. Um, my, my only question to you would be the only excuse in his first first up was that he was three lengths off Geetra, who's also in that race. Yeah, the, um, his first up record's not good. First up, he's he's only won one time out of six. I'd, well, third up. Have you have you seen his third up record? He's good third up. He beat he beat Santa third up last time I think actually. Four starts, four wins, third yeah. up. Yeah. Pretty pretty handy. Uh, yeah. Distance is good. Look, I, I, I don't I, really I, have any question marks on him. If the track gets to a good at Morfordville on Saturday, I, I think he, I think he wins. Personally, I, I'm that last uh, that last run had uh, alarm bells ringing for me. Look, I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked if it wins, but I'm not going to back it. While we're talking about the Goodwood, I, my, my, not my best of the day, but my Goodwood tip. I, I, I can't go past Geetra. I think at three dollars seventy, it's one of the bets of the year. Um, Santa Ana Lane is probably the, the next best. Um, and then Sunlight um, and um, The Inevitable are probably my next couple. Uh, what about Geetra drawing 12? Where does he go from there? I think he gets forward onto the pace. Um, 
I'm pretty pretty happy to see Geetra get from from barrier twelve, get forward, get onto the pace, and just pace him from there basically. So the lead jungle edge is probably going to lead, I would imagine, who's barrier thirteen. So that they uh, that'll be good uh, for Geetra to be able to block it out a little bit, make uh, the jungle edge work a bit harder. Um, and then the I don't think there's, any, there's not a heap of pace. Um, Zilong will lead as well. Free well, of dead. Go forward as well, won't you? Well, you'd think so. You would think so. So it, there's there's a little bit of pace there, but not not enough to make me too nervous about uh, Geetra getting too far. Even if Geetra sits, you know, a couple couple uh, couple off, couple back, I'd be happy there. And I was the wild cards, obviously in the in the uh, Goodwoods, obviously going to be Santa Ana Lane. It was pretty yeah. disappointing last start. The barrier one didn't offer much um, for him. Barrier ten this time will be a bit more of of help. Um, so I, I think it's definitely still got a good race. Um, left in him, so that'll be very, very interesting. Um, my best of the day um, at uh, Flemington uh, in the Lexus. Um, I've got Rupture uh, as my best bet of the day. Outstanding form, was t- terrific last start. Smashed uh, Hangman, who uh, had big wraps on it coming out of that race. Uh, beat uh, Rubisaki going back a little while. Uh, I think with that form line, uh, I don't think there's any way that he really gets challenged. Yeah, I think that's a good bet. Out to its best instance, best distance of two thousand here. Correct. I think it wins too. Two thousand three. That's two. Sorry, two dollars thirty-five. You can get it at. Uh, only query would be if it does go a soft track. Um, but I think the weather is going to clear up. Nine starts on a soft without a win. Port poses a little bit of a, of a worry to me, but I think it's it's the best horse in the race, and I'm uh, pretty comfortable betting on that. After Sunlight, who's the next best? So I'm looking to um, a horse that we know a bit, Orleans Rock, actually. He's nominated in two races, one at Morfittville, one at Flemington. But I think he looks, from what I've heard, he stays at Flemington. And I think if he does, he wins. He uh, ran at Sandown a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday, won by two lengths. But what I don't think was too well reported was that um, – Main stage was second, and main stage was second by three lengths or something. So Orleans Rock really gapped them. And we know Ben Mellon's got big um, big mail on this horse. It's one of the horses <laughs> that he's bet on, um, facing a suspension for. So, um, yeah, look, I, I think if people – if main stage wasn't in the race um, that Orleans Rock just won and people realise that Orleans Rock could have won by five, could have won by five lengths, really um, – Oh, there's no real reason why he can't do it again. He's absolutely fine. He's out to a mile. Yeah. Uh, up in class from the 70 to 78. Um, Down two kilos, though. The Duke um, of Plumpton will be a, an interesting test in that one uh, at five to one, if, if, if it indeed does go to Flemington, which I think, I assume it will. Duke of Plumpton was um, disappointing in its first Australian start um, last time. Or, sorry, second Australian start last time. But then Shot of Irish goes out who gapped it by three lengths, goes out and wins last week at Caulfield. Yeah, well, no, um, one, so really, no one really made up distance on Sandown that last week or two ago, was it? Yeah, um, so, I'm, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty uh, I'd be pretty happy to have Duke of Plump in there. Could be a little Quin- cheeky Quinella, I reckon, there with uh, your with uh, Oleen's Rock. Uh, my next best, um, backed it last time at Ro- over in Sydney, uh, and I'm sticking with it. I know you, you're not a massive fan, but I'm sticking with Graf. Um, not a fan of Graf. Race, race six, number one in Rose Hill. Um, I think it's the best horse in the race. If it brings its best race by a long way. Similar to what yours. It, it, it wasn't too bad first up. Um, 
back out to 1300, which will, will suit it better. Uh, can run on any track, so I'm not concerned about that. A little bit of giving it wouldn't be a bad result. Uh, I think there's a little bit of rain coming in Sydney, so hopefully we can get up to that soft five, soft six. Loves the track, loves the distance. Um, I think the graph will be very, very tough to beat. Biggest it hasn't threat. Had a win for a long time though. That's that's my only concern on graph. Yeah, I think I think it's due. Biggest threat um, for me probably Trumbull, um, but Trumbull probably needs um, a, a good track. So if there's a bit of rain around, that will struggle. And eleven eleven um, is of similar similar sort of class um, to to uh, graph. But I think graph should be the best horse in the race and should bring his best. Um, so we've already discussed the Goodwood. What's your value pick of the day? My value pick? Yep. Well, what have I got here? Some art's good value, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know, I've already talked my, about him. I'm, no, you know, he's my tip for the Goodwood. He's my best of the day. He's my value of the day as well. Some art at $9, jump on that. He's paying $3 to place as well. I, I, I can't believe this type of value that you're going to get. I cannot wait to back him. <laughs> I reckon it might come in a bit, to be honest. Uh, well, my, uh, I'm, I'm not going to cheat and pick the same horse three times. Uh, my, uh, my value bet, Manalo Blahnik at, uh, at Flemington. Uh, race eight, number... What number is it? Number... Where did it go? Uh, number 10, I should say. Uh, 18 to 1. Uh, if you followed my uh, value picks uh, last week, ran a first and a second. Um, Manalo Blahnik... Doesn't its form doesn't read terrifically, um, but when you look through it, you know three lengths off Bams on Fire a couple of starts ago, who's gone on to become a Group One place, uh, and then two lengths off Armageri last start up in Rose Hill over fifteen hundred, um, who has gone on to, to do better things. That was on Anzac Day, uh, and then even before that, you know two lengths off Diamond Effort, um, who's also gone on to win some more races. So I think back to back to fourteen hundred suits. Um, bit of give in the track suits um, at eighteen to one. I think definitely each way bet would be sensible there. Um, I bet on it. I was on it last. I think I was on it at uh, at that Caulfield start and uh, ran a fourth when I had it each way. So I was disappointing, but uh, I think that is definitely capable of rebounding and uh, striking one up for the connections. Uh, before we leave, um, so obviously. Big story coming out of last week, uh, Seb, was the uh, the run of Russian Camelot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more impressive wins you'd have to say you've seen in a while of in a little while of racing. Um, yes, and I think it's it's primed to make a big uh, impact at springtime. So, who are your three horses to watch for um, when we get to the springtime? Okay, well, just on Russian Camelot, if I'm, I know you have big wraps on it, and I think that's very justified, but. I, I don't think we can get two k away with one one run. Like it it was it was a very good run, no doubt. But um, look that race it was it was a good race. It was a group one, of course. It was a very good race, but there wasn't a whole lot of quality. It wasn't like a Melbourne type cup of race. I don't I don't think it wins the Melbourne Cup. Um, yeah, I don't know. Dallas Sands pretty classy. Dallas Sands pretty classy. Yeah, they they're good horses, but they're not Melbourne Cup horses, are they? Um, well, so well, funny because well, who knows what's going to happen with the uh, with the with all the COVID nineteen thing like that. We might not be able to get any international horses coming over. That's a good point. So maybe it kind of opens up for those Australian horses. And the thing that I like with the Russian Camelot, like it, it had an absolute nightmare of a run. Yeah, like that. Remember, I sent you a text after the jump, didn't I? I was yeah, cursing John <laughs> Allen for Johnny. Sitting there. What are you doing, tough. Johnny? <laughs> 
but it, it came back and it, it pretty oh, to me it pretty much ran two miles over thousand five hundred. So I'm pretty pretty happy with that backing after the Melbourne Cup at those odds this early. Um, yeah. So obviously, I think you'd have to put the Russian Hamlet in, in your top couple to watch for. I, I also like Surprise Baby. Um, Surprise Baby, yep. Yeah, well, finished really well last Melbourne Cup. Um, year older, fitter, stronger, hopefully. I, I think it's a better horse than Russian Camelot, to be honest. Well, I think that that's going to be a good rivalry to come. Obviously, Surprise Baby. Surprise Baby, a rising five-year-old, I think. I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it's four, yeah, four, four going on five. Other Camelot um, being three going on four. Um, so, yep, that's a good pick. I had, I've had i got Rubisaki as well. Um, obviously, group of two-time group two winner and a group three to throw in there as well. Won its last four starts of the prep and just was always just a bit toey um, over its opponents. It'll be interesting to see whether they can get it out to the mile, whether they can set it for something like the Maccabi Diva um, over 1,600 or whether it is simply just a 1,200-meter 1200 meter specialist, in which case you know, there's a few, fair few good races going around when we get to the springtime. Yeah, well, he had, uh, such, great, he had such a great prep here, didn't he? You, you, can't, you can't fault him. And so, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be one to watch out for. And that's definitely going to win a couple group ones in the coming years. Um, the other one I had um, was Canaan. Um, obviously, it had a super, super, super run over in Sydney. They, they uh, flirted with taking him over to Adelaide uh, for the derby. It would have been a fascinating race um, against the Russian Camelot, but Italy, that will be back in vogue in the spring. They knocked back some huge offers from Hong Kong. I was hearing three fast mil from Hong Kong. Like that's three fast mil from Hong Kong. Um, so I think they're going to take it. They're going to take it to Brisbane. Um, run it in the next couple of weeks, obviously in the carnival up there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether it keeps that form up because that was a super run, um, and then obviously probably getting set for a Cox Plate um, or a Caulfield Cup come springtime. Well, how old is how old is Canaan? It's another three year old. Yeah, well, that could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah. That last run was so. That, that, that's in the Russian Camelot sort of uh, sort of range. Yeah, I think, I think you're if, right if, there. if that if that had gone to the the Derby, I think that could have at the very least run a very good race. Two thousand five hundred. I think so. That Russian Camelot didn't get anywhere near two thousand five hundred before that. Um. So there, yeah, who knows with that? There once again. I think the other thing with um that might hold um Canaan in better stead. You just hope that the, the going to that distance so early in, in Russian Camelot's career, obviously being so untested, hopefully that doesn't make it a bit slow. Um, yeah, well, that was the worry, wasn't it? Hopefully it, it can keep its pace because I think I think at its best, that's capable of winning some races even over 1,600 um, and then obviously getting out um, to the two-mile as well, whereas maybe Canaan might have more of a future of being a bit more versatile. Um, have you got any other, other, any other up-and-comers that you might want to have a look at? Come the spring, or is that about it? For oh now? well, not up and coming, but um, Love and Gabby, one of my favourite horse. <laughs> um, it's going to be exciting to see that back in action. Surely Absolutely can't, will. surely it can't get even bigger. But if it does, it's it going to be massive. Nice horse. Yeah, that that's um, it's interesting to see because obviously in her time, um, Pirata, a couple others have retired. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that the, the next class, and um, when we get to the four-year-olds and next year. Um, what's what what sort of class they're like? Um, Loving Gabby, obviously, probably leading the way, uh, has mixed it up with some of the some of the better horses, better sprinters in the country already. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes in the spring. 
Uh, we might leave it there, boys. That was a good little good little uh, chat. That uh, covered some good uh, good points. Um, that was good fun. That's good to have you on, Seb. Um, obviously, you're probably going to have you on a couple more times as we go along. Um, oh, well, thanks for having me, fellas. It's really good to be here. No worries at all. All right. Um, good luck if you're having a bet on Saturday. Um, we will uh, check in next Tuesday. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Jody.